In case you were not aware of this factoid that I'm going to share with you, my mother was a piano teacher. Consequently, some of my earliest memories are of listening to my mother as she would sit and play the piano and sing. And the sound of those melodies would fill the house on Scenic Loop in Marshall, Texas. My mother was also a teenager during the 1940s, the war years of World War II. So the songs that she played and the songs that she sang quite naturally came from that era. As a result of this, I developed an appreciation for the music from that era also. I enjoy listening to the sounds of Glenn Miller and Benny Goodman and Tommy Dorsey. Honest confession, I actually enjoyed watching the Lawrence Welk show. And the one, and the two, and the, you had to watch it to know what that is. But there's one song that I remember particularly. I even have the sheet music to it even today. And that song came out of the 1940s. It was Accentuate the Positive. If you want to listen to a recording of it, one of my favorite recordings is done by Bing Crosby and the Andrews Sisters. But here are the lyrics to the song, and relax, I've done all the singing I'm going to do till we have the invitation song. You've got to accentuate the positive. Eliminate the negative. Latch on to the affirmative. And don't mess with Mr. In-Between. you got to spread joy up to the maximum and bring gloom down to the minimum. Have faith or pandemonium liable to walk upon the scene. To illustrate his last remark, Jonah and the whale, Noah in the ark. What did they do when everything looked so dark? Man, they said we'd better accentuate the positive. Eliminate the negative. Latch on to the affirmative. And don't mess with Mr. In-Between. Now, when you think about it, that describes our battle with evil. In the passage that I've chosen for our text this morning, Jesus draws us a graphic picture of this. It's in Matthew chapter 12 and beginning with verse 43. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from which I came out. And when he has come, he finds it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also with this wicked generation. The man Jesus is talking about here is determined he's going to evict the guest no matter what the cost might be. Because you see, the man is clean. And this evil guest is unclean. And the presence of this evil tenant means the man is under a certain kind of bondage. 
But he has a longing to be free from this bondage. So this man Jesus is talking about in this parable rises up and expels this unwelcome guest from his life. But the tragedy is, instead of him finding the freedom he longs for, he finds greater bondage. All of his efforts at victorious living are futile. What did Jesus say? The last state of that man is worse than the first. And as we read this, we're left to puzzle over the man's failure, are we not? He did not fail because he was indifferent to the evil that possessed him. And he did not fail because he had no interest in living a better and brighter and cleaner life. On the contrary, this man wholeheartedly was interested in being free from this unwelcome guest. He had a deep longing inside of him for what you and I would call living the good life. After all, is that not true of all of us to a greater or lesser degree? That we want to live a good life? This man did not fail because he was indifferent to a good life. And this man did not fail because of a lack of effort. He didn't just sit back and wish to be free of this unwelcome guest. He actually willed that freedom. He willed that freedom so intensely that at God only knows what cost, He showed this unwelcome, unclean spirit the door. And having sent this unclean spirit packing, he tried to remove all the stains of evil that his presence had brought. He called in a maid service. And the one unclean, once unclean house was swept and garnished. And more than that, he did not fail for a lack of desire or a lack of effort. And he didn't fail because he had made up his mind that accomplishing his task was something impossible for him to do. He finally did get rid of this hated guest, this unclean spirit. And that does not mean his failure was inevitable. To be sure, his failure was utterly needless. Because over time and over the years, there have been thousands of others who have found themselves in that same situation and they've been victorious. So in the story Jesus tells there, we have to ask, why did this man fail? He failed, as so many do, because he used a flawed technique. When this man made up his mind to live a good life, when this man made up his life to be, as we would say, a Christian, he fixed his mind on the evil that was to be expelled from his life rather than on the good that was to take its place. He focused his attention on the tares 
instead of the wheat. He sought a negative goodness. He thought he could merely could completely win by merely cleansing the house of his heart of its evil. So he rose up against this hated guest and expelled him. And having accomplished the task of emptying the house of his heart, he thought he had won. Beloved, that was this man's fatal blunder. He successfully eliminated the negative. But in doing so, he failed to accentuate the positive. Trying to be good merely by fighting evil is going to be a failure. Emptiness of evil, however complete it is, is no equivalent for goodness. Mere harmlessness is never holiness. Never has been, never will be. To make getting rid of evil an end in itself is to forget our true goal. What is that goal? What is God seeking in your life and in my life? When the farmer in the parable Jesus tells sowed good seed in his field, what was he looking for? What was he seeking? He was seeking wheat. His servants came to him because there were tares growing there. And his servants made the mistake of thinking his primary purpose was to be rid of the tares. But it wasn't. The farmer, putting the raising of wheat first, was willing to let the tares grow with the wheat rather than run the risk of spoiling the wheat by uprooting the tares. He could have totally destroyed the tares in his wheat field. But if he had destroyed the wheat in the process, he would have had nothing more than a barren, wasted field. And having done this, he would have missed the whole purpose for which the field was cultivated and the wheat was sowed. I remember hearing my grandfather talk about growing up on their farm in Oklahoma. And I can remember him talking about he and his father and his brothers clearing new ground. And the first thing they had to do was destroy all those things growing wild in the ground, roots and all. But their purpose in clearing this new ground was not to leave a barren field. Their purpose was to give their corn crop a better chance to grow. That's indicative of God's purpose in God's dealings with us. That is the meaning behind every sacrifice God calls on us to make. God is seeking positive goodness in my life and in your life. So when God asks us to give up evil, it's not so our hands and our hearts will be empty. It's so our hands and our hearts 
can be filled with positive goodness for God. Every renunciation that God calls on us to make is only a means to an end. And mere emptiness of evil is never an end of itself. To be harmless is not necessarily to be holy. Emptiness not only falls short of positive goodness, but in itself it is sin. Here's how James put it. James chapter 4 verse 17. To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. That means, folks, no amount of don'ts by themselves can make a Christian. If merely to do no evil would make someone good, I can make a saint out of a rag doll. Adding up don'ts is like adding up a column of zeros. The sum is still nothing. Not only is emptiness sin, but Jesus looked upon emptiness as the most dangerous and subtle type of sin. A man that goes out and gets drunk, Loses his paycheck in a dice game. And then gets in a fight. He knows he's sinning. But someone who does no positive harm often looks upon himself or herself as a choice servant of God and wonders why they're failing to grow wings. Are you listening? Some of the most critical... Pharisaical people I have come in contact in my life have been professing Christians who were constantly priding themselves on the thousand and one sins they were never guilty of committing. And they did that while they were unable to point to a single positive good thing they had ever done in their life. One of the most Dangerous and damning of all sins is merely to do nothing. And Jesus is warning against this more than any other. If you look at the parables of the judgment, the rebuke of Jesus is never for someone who has done some bold and aggressive wrong. The rebuke of Jesus is for those who have failed to do the bold and aggressive right. The one talent man was flung into the night not because he wasted his substance with riotous living, but because he refused, refused to use it at all and kept it buried. The fig tree that Jesus cursed was ripe for destruction, not because it bore poisonous fruit, but because it bore no fruit at all. The five foolish bridesmaids who had the door shut in their faces 
It was not because they were antagonistic to the bridegroom. It was because they didn't have any oil. The most insidious and dangerous of sins is to have come and grown and gone and never have known the privilege of taking an aggressive stand for what's right. Emptiness is passive sin. But not only is emptiness passive sin, it almost inevitably leads to open and aggressive sin. The man in the parable that's part of our text, he attacked the evil that had made its home in his heart. And he drove it out. And when he drove that evil out, he thought his work was done. The house of his heart was clean and empty. But he was wrong. The problem of an empty house is that it invites an occupant. Its very emptiness sports a sign that says, For rent, in the face of every passing demon. The truth is, no house of the heart can be empty. If it does not entertain a good guest, it will entertain an evil guest. Of all of the difficult things that we find in life, there is nothing quite so hard as being good without being good for something. The futility of this impossible achievement, you can read it in countless tragic failures. And one that immediately comes to my mind is the strong man of the Old Testament, Samson. That iron man had judged Israel for 20 years. And as long as he was on the job, he was true of his vow of dedication to God. But after a score of years, Samson decided to take a holiday. He decided to take his vacation not among friends, but among his enemies. Now that was a genius move, wasn't it? He made his way to Gaza. And without any fine love in his heart, Samson fell in love with Delilah. And that guilty love at once began to feel for the secret of Samson's power. And the end of Samson comes with him as a blinded slave in the prison house. What had happened to him? Leaving off the positive right, Samson ended up doing the positive wrong. Every empty house of the heart invites a tenant. Beloved, if we're going to win... If we're going to win, we have to win positively. And that's undeniably true in the realm of things that are physical. For example, how shall we enjoy good health? Well, some folks make the mistake of seeking to win by focusing their attention on the disease. 
They're constantly feeling their pulse, looking at their tongue, going to the doctor. I even knew a man one time that was so fanatical about his health. He was a machinist for a large company. And you know what he kept in his toolbox along with all of the tools of the machinist trade? A thermometer. And those that worked with him said he was known to check his temperature at least three to four times a day because if it got up above 98.7, he was going to go home sick. Well, folks like that and folks that are always feeling their pulse, looking at their tongue, going to the doctor, most of them are constantly enjoying poor health. In order to be well, Something more is necessary than just merely getting rid of disease. We've got to also maintain a positive outlook. Accentuate the positive. I'm reminded of a man who went to a visitation one time at a large funeral home, one that had multiple staterooms. And there were numerous funerals scheduled and there were bodies lying in state in those various staterooms. This was before COVID had ever become a thing, and it was in the spring of the year. The pollen was going nuts, and this man had a really nasty cough. And as he was coughing out in the hallway, the funeral director said, Man, that's a nasty cough you've got there. And the man said, Yeah, I suppose, though, any of the folks in these staterooms would be glad to have it, wouldn't they? That's a positive outlook. The only positive remedy against sickness is health. It is by the positive truth that we are, we are to drive out error and correct false faiths. Some folks are ready to grab on to any new ism that comes along. And the reason that so many times folks are ready to grab on to some new ism is because there's a vacuum inside. How do we fight those things? Well, one way is to denounce them. Tear them to shreds. Show how silly they are. My friends, ultimately, the method of denunciation has never worked. And never will. The denouncer always stirs up more snakes than he or she kills. So how do we proceed? The only foe of darkness is light. The only sure antagonist of error is truth. Think about the early saints we read of in God's Word. They demonstrate this. Those saints of the first century went out into a hard and forbidding world. A world where polytheism was old and entrenched and respectable. Their progress would have been at a snail's pace if they had started out by denouncing Jupiter for a tyrant and Venus for a bit of a harlot and on down through the list. So instead of going out into a world of polytheism and denouncing it, they went to proclaim Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. They did it with their lips by telling others about Jesus. 
But more significantly, they did it with their lives. They did it with their commitment. They did it by letting others see Jesus living in them. They did it by putting the church first in their lives. They did it by letting others see they loved the Lord, they loved the church, they loved each other. So what does that say of us when we say unkind things to those outside the church about other members of our church family? What does that say when we reach a point we think it's all about us and our feelings and our felt needs that we think everything's got to be our way? The secret of a victorious church. The secret of a victorious Christian. Listen to me. Is letting others see Jesus living in us. That's the secret of a victorious church. And that's the secret of a victorious Christian. To let the world see Jesus in us. It's a sad commentary on our example of Christianity. That so many people in the world around us think of living the Christian life in terms of the negative. Because you ask the average man or the average woman on the street outside the church to become a Christian, and you know what they think about? All too often they think about our invitation to come to the church, our invitation to come to Jesus Christ in terms of what they're going to have to give up. We need to put the emphasis not on what folks have to give up, but what they receive. That was always the emphasis of Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, The key word of Christianity is always, Receive ye. Look through your New Testament. It's used over and over and over again. Receive ye. The road to victory is following Jesus Christ. The road to victory is making Jesus Christ the Lord and the Master of our lives. Let's be standing together. The only way to live victoriously is to live for Jesus. It's to live a positive Christianity. It's to let Jesus have control of your life. And I don't know what's going on, and I don't know what the needs of your life are. But if there's something we can help you with, something we can help you change for Jesus to be the Lord and Master of your life, this is your opportunity to come and let us help you with that.